Well, good morning to each of you. It is a privilege and an honor to be back. And uh, we've not forgotten about Providence Church and uh, the special part, place in our hearts that uh, you all hold. And we pray for you and just feel excited to be able to be back with you. A brand new facility for us. Uh, we have not seen this before. It's lovely. I guess you've been here in here, what, two, three years already? But uh, yeah, this is very lovely, very beautiful. Greetings from South Carolina. Uh, if you need a reference point at all, we're the church, kind of the home church that was formed around uh, the Fair Play Boys Camp, if that uh, means anything to any of you. So we are there, a part of that church on a Sunday morning, probably close to 250 people now. So a nice, uh, yeah, a growing, nice size uh, church community. Another reference point for some of you would be we're next door to the Clemson Tigers. I know Ohio people have a way of keeping their eye on that, maybe even some secret admirers sometimes. So, uh, yeah, that can be a reference point as well. Blessings to you as a church as you continue to navigate learn, figure out, make yourself available, serve, love each other in the form and in the way of body life that uh, the Lord Jesus has not only modeled but uh, called us to. Yesterday it was a good day to just spend some time together with the life group leaders. Some of the things that uh, we talked about Without exception, all of us have been created for relationship, for connection. There are no exceptions. That's a part of what's innate in every one of our hearts as created image bearers, created in the image of God, created in his likeness. God is the epitome of what it means to be relational. That's the message of the gospel, the restoration of relationship. And so at the core of every one of our hearts is this this need, this longing, this capacity to be in relationship. Life is bigger than any one of us can manage alone. We're made for each other. We need each other. Body life and heart connection, intimacy with God and with our fellow man is God-designed. It's what uh, life is to be about. But we also know that we live in a broken world. I don't have to remind any of you of that here this morning. Our hearts are broken. Others' hearts are broken. We become terrified of the brokenness and, and, and the death that surrounds us. And so, by default, in the flesh, it's so easy for us then uh, to move into isolation, to move into secrecy, to move away from the very thing that our heart needs, cries for, and cares for. I, I believe there, some of the deepest cry of each of our hearts is the cry to know and to be known. But surrounded with brokenness, 
Isolation and secrecy becomes our default setting. And so masked and deceitful kinds of living, living in living pretentiously, hiding behind pretense, we sabotage life and what God really longs for us to be able to enjoy and be a part of. I have a story that I think illustrates sometimes all too well how pretentiously we're living and hiding behind our masks. If you heard this before, enjoy it again. Sheep's clothing. Finding himself desperately in need of money, a man went to the city zoo hoping to get a job feeding the animals. Although no such opportunity was available, the manager, seeing the size and the strength of the applicant, got an idea. You know, he said, there are few creatures who attract attention like our gorilla. Unfortunately, our gorilla died yesterday. If we got you a special fur suit, would you be willing to imitate him for a few days? The hungry man agreed to try. He was quite successful as he beat his chest, bellowed, shook the bars of the cage, much to the amusement of the visitors who said they had never seen a gorilla with such intelligence. One day, while swinging on his trapeze, he accidentally lost his grip and landed in the lion's den. The huge beast gave a ferocious roar. Backing away, the imposter realized he couldn't cry for assistance without revealing that he was a fake. He retreated, hoping to crawl back over the fence into his own cage. The lion, however, followed him. Finally, in desperation, he yelled, Help! Immediately, the lion, in an undertone, said, Shut up, stupid, or you'll get us both fired. (laughs) And so, we fool each other, don't we? we? We wear masks well. Pretense. It's in each of our hearts, right? If we're honest, we present an image that we want others to, that we think others will enjoy or think well of. And, and so often mask and cover some of, the, some of the deeper realities of really what's going on in our heart. But in doing so, I think sabotage, life, and intimacy, and bonding, and connection that the Lord Jesus really desires for us as we live our lives. The title of my message this morning is Found Out and Still Loved. Found Out and Still Loved. For text, you can open to Mark 5. And we're going to talk about the story of the woman with the issue of blood.
Mark 5:25 to 34. I think I will read it this morning and then we'll come back through and make some comments. Starting in verse 25, a certain woman. Did you catch that? A certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not better but rather worse, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I will be healed. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, Who touched me? He looked around about to see her that had done this thing. The woman, fearing and trembling, Knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, your faith hath made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of the plague. As we go back and work our way through this story, I would invite you, each of you here this morning, we're all at a different place in our journey. We all have different things that are stirring in our heart, but we all have a story and we're all on a journey. And I would invite you to find your place in this story this morning. Because I think every one of us here this morning fit somewhere in the movement of the story of the woman with an issue of blood. Maybe you already identify with the opening phrase, a certain woman Very little felt worth, value, significance, not even a name. Just me. Just a woman. Just a certain woman. Also in verse 25, she's a sick woman. She's had an issue. The days and the nights have turned into weeks. The weeks have turned into months. The months have turned into years. Actually, 12 long years of not feeling well. Emotionally, 
spiritually, physically. She's on a journey. She has a story. Verse 26, she's a suffering woman. She suffered many things at the hands of others. Sometimes what they promised her felt hopeful. Many hopeful visits. But the more that she tried, the worse things got. Some of you may feel that's a part of your journey in the moment. The harder you try, the more things seem to fall apart and unravel. She was a poor and destitute woman. Verse 26. She spent everything. She gave it her all. Life was on empty. A depleted bank account, depleted savings, maybe even mortgaged her home, and she's left with nothing trying to get better, only getting worse. Verse 27, she's still a listening woman. Don't you love the resiliency that's built into the heart of every, everyone? Just this, this struggle to find something more. As a listening woman, she becomes an informed woman. Verse 27. She hears about Jesus. No idea who told her what. It doesn't say. Someday we'll probably have some of these gaps filled into the story. There'll be somebody in glory that we'll meet that, oh, you're the one that told the woman, and we'll hear the story, the rest of the story. Whatever they told her, verse 28, she becomes a hopeful woman. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What she heard somehow had a persuasion that affected her forward movement. As a hopeful woman, she said, if, if I can just touch his garment, I will become whole. Some of you are living with some ifs this morning in your story. If, if only, if only. But ifs that can become so complicated. She has no money. How is she going to repay someone who heals her? 
no payment, nothing to give. But more than that, a Jewish woman who by ceremonial law was unclean. And anyone or anything that she touched became immediately defiled. That's complicated. She's an unclean woman. She's an outcast woman. If, if I can touch him, you feel the tension? You feel the predicament? In spite of how hopeful she is in the moment? So how does an unclean woman, an outcast, touch Jesus? There's only one logical way. Only one. And that is, verse 27, to come from behind. And coming from behind, she becomes a hiding woman a secretive woman, a shameful woman. You feel her heart. A hiding woman, afraid of being known, a secretive woman, afraid of being noticed, a shameful woman, afraid of being seen. Because she knew If people know, if people see me, if people find out who I am, you've been down that road. If they knew my story, at the best they would scorn me, despise me, at the worst they will hate me, leave me, and hurt me. So she comes from behind. She tries to do life her own way, looking for something more, desperate for something more, longing for something more, but on her own. We have to admire her that she remains a persevering woman, a pressing on woman. We know that where there's faith and a will, there's a measure of grace to act. So she pushes her way through the crowd from behind. Picture the scene. Join her. Walk with her. She's unclean. She's an outcast. I don't picture her as a reckless woman. I picture her as a woman with a tender heart, a caring heart, not wanting to hurt anybody. And so she gets into the crowd. She starts at the fringe of the crowd, wanting to work her way forward. And she's determined that somehow she's going to slip through and not defile anyone. I would give her that kind of credit here this morning. But because of the nature of the crowd, because of the scene, she finds herself touching someone and she cringes within something just shoots through her and oh and, and, and it hurts deeply but determined to somehow get to Jesus pretty soon it can't really matter anymore 
and it must have felt extremely unsettling for her as she moved her way forward through the crowd, touching this person and that person and another and another and another. Finally, close enough, but still behind, still out of sight, still unnoticed, as inconspicuous, as quietly, and as discreetly as she is able, she slips her hand out and touches his coat. Just the edge. It wasn't a grab. It wasn't a clasp. It was just a touch. But it was enough. Because in verse 29, she becomes a healed woman. And I believe at that moment a sensation swept over her like nothing she had ever felt before. I believe in that moment she knew that something wonderful had happened. I believe in that moment she knew that she was healed. The flow of blood had stopped. And I can't imagine anything else other than she felt like shouting and dancing and saying, Glory to Jesus. But she couldn't. Because she was still in hiding. And I suggest here this morning, as bad as suffering alone is, to celebrate alone is probably worse. And so she's left with one thing. And that is, as secretly and as silently as she made her way forward in the crowd to touch Jesus, she now has to disappear and slip away. trying to convince herself that she's satisfied, that she's had enough, she's gotten what she needs, she's got what she wants, and she's headed home. On a side note, was it her touch that healed her? I'm not going to delve into this deeply. I'm just going to ask a few questions. Was it the touch that healed her? Or was it her faith that healed her? Could, have she been, could she have been healed without touching him? Could she have been healed by touching him without faith? Had she not acted in faith, would Jesus have passed her by that day? Back to the story. And where we find ourselves with her and the journey... How often are we like her in that we want relief without exposure, we want pleasure without pain, and we want life without death. We want freedom without being seen and known and found out. In her mind, the story was mostly finished. She just had to get home and not be found out. 
In Jesus' mind, the story was only beginning. For him, it wasn't finished. Picture Jesus. He's in this crowd. He's walking down the dusty road. The crowds are surrounding him. They're jostling him. He's talking. He's teaching as he goes. He has a captive audience. They're interested. Jesus stops walking. He stops teaching. And he says this bizarre thing. The disciples find it just really, really strange. Really? You're asking if somebody touched you? You've been jostled by the crowds all morning? And it's a big enough deal in the moment that other gospels say every one of the disciples said it wasn't me. Who touched me? Because the kind of touch that I'm talking about took something from me. Virtue went out of me. Something more than any of you are aware of happened. Who touched me? You see, when we are committed to secrecy and isolation, we forget who we're really dealing with. The one where all things are open and naked before him with whom we have to do. And so Jesus, knowing all things, pursues her. He notices her. He cares for her. Cares for her enough to expose her. And as the crowds are halted there, stopped with Jesus, and Jesus is making a scene, the woman can't help but notice that his gaze meets her eyes. The eyes of the Lord Jesus are on every one of you this morning. You know that? He notices. He cares. He sees. His gaze meets hers. And while trying to slink away, she's found out. Not completely yet. But it is a hand in the cookie jar moment. I promise you. And feeling caught, feeling discovered, knowing in her heart that he knows, she becomes, verse 33, a trembling woman. 
But in her trembling heart and within her fearful heart, she becomes an honest woman, an exposed woman, a surrendered woman. And as a transparent woman, an honest woman, a surrendered woman, she falls on her face before him in front of the crowd, and it says she tells him what? The whole truth. Now, what's the whole truth? We can only imagine. But she probably had to acknowledge the fact that she is an outcast. And she feels so bad how her uncleanness has affected the whole crowd. Imagine the scene. And it just feels like it's such a sacred moment that the crowd around Jesus at that point can't help themselves but to just step back a few steps and just form a ring around what's happening in the middle. And allow and observe this tender moment of the Lord Jesus not only ministering to the physical needs of her heart, but speaking into the emotional and the spiritual needs of right where she was at in the moment. She's at a place where there's nothing more to hide. There's no more pretense. And unashamedly, she tells Jesus, and I can't imagine anything less as she talks and communicates with Jesus. Maybe she doesn't realize it, but the crowd are listening in and hearing her story as well. The story's still not finished. As an exposed woman, as a surrendered woman, verse 34, she becomes an honored woman and an endeared woman. Notice the shift, the beginning of the story. Who is she? She's a certain woman, no name, just a me. And as Jesus reaches out her hand and lifts her up from this place of surrender and brokenness before him and looks her in the eye, what does he say? Daughter. Can there be anything more tender than that? More healing than that? Daughter. Daughter. Words from the lips of Jesus. Daughter, you belong to me. I love you. And I'm here today to affirm you as one of mine. She left for home after that with way more than she ever bargained for or ever thought she would ever be able to know and experience. 
Because Jesus not only healed her, but he spoke peace to her heart. An encounter that day that brought emotional healing, brought comfort, brought affirmation, and stirred something within her spirit that I think was eternal. The stop of the flow of blood was real and meaningful and exciting, but it was temporal. I think Jesus went beyond the temporal that day and touched something that was eternal. And that was a love for him, a commitment to him, a relationship with him from that point forward that went way beyond her not needing to visit the doctors next week and the next and the next. I'm going to suggest here this morning that we do not know what true freedom really is until we are found out and still loved. If you're here in secrecy this morning in isolation, you may experience a certain level of love and freedom, but you are still looking for, and there is still waiting for you a freedom that you can never know until there is nothing more to hide. And I'm not suggesting here this morning that we hang all of our dirty laundry out on the line for everybody to see and observe. But there is a principle of transparency and exposure that is directly related to the freedom that we are invited to experience. Did Jesus expose her to shame her, to hurt her, to scold her, to embarrass her? No. Was that a part of the process? Was that some of what she felt in the moment? I would imagine so. I think I would have felt that. But Jesus had something bigger than that. He had an end goal in mind, and his end goal in mind was to, not only for her, but for every one of us here today, as we read the story and as we enter the story, to know and to hear the invitation that we can be found out. And still loved. There's nothing within the closets of any of our story here this morning. But what the Lord Jesus has his eye on, he wants to reach in and he wants to touch that. And he wants to bring his redemption to that. And I believe here this morning with all my heart that when we hide and isolate and repress and hold away from the Lord Jesus anything within our heart, that is an affront against the grace of God, against the centrality of the cross. Because I believe this morning that Jesus died as much to comfort us in our sorrow as he did to forgive us in our sin. And so when we repress and hide and ignore and minimize, we're really withholding from him what he had his eye on when he hung on the cross and he said, I have come to carry your sorrows, to bear your griefs, and to forgive you of all of your sin. And whatever we hide, we withhold from the touch of his mercy and grace and healing.
found out and still loved. There's nothing that we can do to make the Lord Jesus love us less. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us more. And he says, come, come, come unto me, and I will give you rest. I don't know where you are in this story this morning. I still suggest that you're somewhere in the trajectory. But wherever, whether it's a celebration of freedom and healing and being known and still loved or back at the beginning, just a certain woman, or having spent all and nothing left and only getting worse, a fearful woman, a trembling person, locked within your own shame closet and hiding, regardless of where you find yourself in the story this morning, the Lord Jesus is saying, come, come. I want you. I want you. And as you think about moving forward in your life groups and moving forward experiencing body life here this morning... Obviously, the most critical part of your story is fully known with the Lord Jesus, but I would suggest then also that crucial to your journey as well is a level of transparency and a level of openness within the body where you can care for each other, you can bear each other's burdens, you can share with each other, you can bless each other, and you can be a part of each other's story. Because none of us are enough on our own to live alone. And I'm excited here for you this morning as a congregation as you focus on building together. Unified in faith but then also focused on each other's stories as a way of being able to care for each other, encourage each other, known by each other, so that you can not only lean on each other during those moments of weakness, but you can be a strength to each other as you share with each other and give away to each other what God is doing, will do, continue to do in your hearts. I think I will close with that. I think I'll pray, and then I'm going to invite Marcus to come and close. God, we're so blessed here this morning by... Stories. And as we put ourselves in the story with the woman here this morning, thank you for life illustrations like this. Thank you, Jesus, that who you were and are for the woman, you wait here this morning to be for each of us. Thank you, Jesus, for your love that doesn't let us go. Lord, I pray for hearts of courage to be able to be people who are known 
so that we can know. I pray, Lord Jesus, a blessing on Providence Church. Holy Spirit, in anointed kinds of ways, lead and direct and heal and encourage and comfort and convict and do what you said you would do when you come, and that is to lead into all truth. God, I pray for the freedom of, yeah, just just, just the freedom of your spirit at work to be alive and well within each heart here this morning. Bless and care the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, the omnipresent one. We need you, we love you, and commit our hearts to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.